Hey, you like cars? Well, so do I. Take a seat real quick. You're listening to Car Quicks. with life but as always you know car news and car information never stops so i'm here back again hope everybody's doing well i'm doing well busy but doing well hope your family's doing well everybody out there that listens you know we got an interesting one today just you know just some random news random opinions and thoughts you know as usual that i you know that i go through in my head i wrote all this stuff down so the good thing about doing these podcasts is that during my time missing I write down what I want to talk about and I put in a notepad so that when this comes finally, I do it. But consistency is key and here I am. So what we got to talk about today, it's your host, didn't even do my intros. Your host is Car Quicks, Cameron, and let's get into this. So what do we got? It's been, it's been fairly interesting as far as like what's been coming out what's been released, what's been shown. Something I didn't add to my list today that I'll probably talk about. You know, I'll talk about it right now. So, as we all know, electric cars is pretty much the open playing field for all these manufacturers to basically get back to designing cars again, get back to offering something exciting getting people interested into cars again that they're willing to buy. Basically, it's get it gets them another shot at acquiring new people. New information comes out. New people want to buy the car. New designs. And so it's an exciting time, especially if you are, if you're into cars, it's exciting. If you're a manufacturer, it's a clean slate. You have all the power in the world to do something really exciting And also for all these new startup companies to get their foot in the door of vehicle manufacturing when before it was almost impossible, very hard to do. And so one of the key players in this world right now who have basically revamped their image would be Kia. And if anybody knows about Kia when they first showed up, Kia, I mean, (laughs) man, There's nothing good to say. When they first showed up, that stuff was trash, okay? Trash. It's good now. There's a few people out there, the Kia Stingers and Elantra Ns, Veloc, you know, Elantra. That's a a Hyundai, my bad. Kia Telluride. There you go. And somebody got a motorcycle in my neighborhood. (laughs) Anyways, Kia Telluride probably one of the best SUVs for families and people that got made and really knocked it out the park. The Kia Stinger, GT, the Gen, you know, all these cars that they have made recently have really shown that they're capable of doing something well. Now, they haven't gotten away from the whole it's a Kia thing or that it's a Kia, so to speak. They haven't gotten fully away from that, but the stuff that they have been making is good. I looked at the Kia Carnival for a minivan when they came out, 
I ended up buying a Toyota Sienna, but they were on the short list. And there isn't, I'm not saying that they have a bunch of interesting cars or exciting ones that kind of speak to me. The only thing that got close to speaking to me was a Kia Stinger. And I mean, I wasn't truly interested in buying that, but they make, you know, standard cars. The EV6, their other electric car, looks very nice as far as an EV goes. And they make other standard, mostly SUVs, a few sedans here and there. But what I'm here to talk about is the EV9. And the reason why it's such a big deal, or it's, I don't want to say it's a big deal in a way that everybody and their mom's talking about it, but a big deal in a way of this thing looks dope. I mean, for a company to actually make a car and do it where the concept to production loses so very little. And that is, that is a key point here. Most of the time, because it's a clean slate, everybody releases a car, a concept that looks amazing. This looks fire. You're like, I'll buy that right now. They're like, production model coming soon. Just hold on. Production model comes out. We all scratch our heads like, can you please bring back that slide for the concept? Because what I'm staring at is nowhere near what it was going to be or should have been. But what Kia did with this EV9, from their concept to the production car loses, I mean, barely a thing. This thing looks as futuristic and as exotic as you would want from a manufacturer building a car like this. This is what everybody talks about wanting, saying, hey, I want people to produce a car that looks like the future, that looks like EVs should look. Not that Rivian hasn't done that. Not that, I don't want to really say Tesla because Tesla's aim is to make a car that blends into the world we live in now. Not necessarily something that looks out of this world, safer, the Cybertruck concept. And I say concept because until that thing is actually on the streets as a concept, it might be vaporware. We don't know. <laughs> but anyways, what they did with the EV9 is essentially show you that it can be designed with what we're doing now in place, the safety features that we need, the interior we need. Now, there might be a question of how does it hold up in the future, 100,000 miles from now, that that's still up in the air. But as far as how it looks, if you haven't seen it, pause this podcast, search Kia EV9. And for SUVs that it's an electric, I mean, this looks good. It looks very good. A little bit of information, all right? Here, here's the meat and potatoes, as they say. The range is about 337 miles I say give or take because that might be based on different scales or different um, parameters they use because every country has a different way. So let's just say it's at least 300-mile range. Very good. 0 to 60 time, like 5 seconds, 5.2. I know that 0 to 60 was electric car seems to be the selling point. It, 5 seconds is more than you need, more than enough in an SUV that has three rows and you're hauling people and kids and all that. It's not that big of a deal. Um, as far as the charging goes, it does allow for the 800-volt super-fast charging if you have it available because that's really really the, the caveat with electric cars is the infrastructure that you are beholden by. And so if nobody around you or in the city you live is utilizing high-capacity chargers, you're pretty much stuck with whatever you install in your home and or fending for yourself with the wolves in the streets trying to find other chargers. So that's that's kind of standard fare. If you get to the highest charges, I think it says it can do, it can add 100 kilo, kilometers every six minutes. 
which is very good if it is installed in the city you have. So it has that ability if it comes. However, the big thing that I found, one of the dopest, I mean, enough that I have kids. So this to me is brings me back to like the old days of riding in the way back of a station wagon where the seats face each other. And that is the captain's chairs in the center of the car can swivel and face the back. Now, some people are like, well, I don't want to look at the people in the back. But if you're doing road trips with kids, if you're in the back, I mean, it also it introduces all this cool thing of like, oh, it's not like I turn around, play a card game. You can eat some food looking at each other. We can have a game playing. Like all of a sudden, all that used to do back in the station wagons is hang in the back with the seats looking at each other. Now we do the same thing in the SUV. I think that the interior is the most impressive part because one, it can fit seven people. They got this crazy floating panoramic dashboard, which is really the thing that everybody's doing now. The dashboards now are giant screens, but this one, because of how they designed it, it's very, very clean. It looks, obviously, it's a screen on the dash, but it's integrated better than most. It looks like they slapped an iPad on top of the plastic and the leather. This one looks the part. It looks good. Swivel captain seats are a very cool feature. As far as the other technology inside of it, they haven't really spoke much about it. But what I could probably gather from what they're going to build is the standard fair things are going to be in there as far as the technology is going to have the climate control. It's going to have multiple zones. It's going to have, you know, the CarPlay, the Android Auto. It's going to have the panoramic roof. It's going to have the, you know, stereo, the speakers, the interior, you know, TV screens and things like that. The main thing about this car really was the exterior looking so close to the concept that now we're starting to get these designs. And honestly, Kia and, and Hyundai and a lot of these manufacturers have really been charging forward with proper automotive design. There's a few companies out there, I won't name, I've already talked about them in other podcasts, but like <laughs> some of the stuff that's coming from our, you know, seasoned nameplates leaves a lot to be desired. Or it's just confusing as far as where they're trying to go. At least with Kia, with their electric cars, you can see that they are aiming for a very futuristic look. And this one looks really, really cool to me. Will it hold up the test of time as like a classic design? I don't really know because I don't think we're in that space now where things are necessarily being designed as classic unless they are older in nameplate or they're more traditional ICE vehicles. When it comes to electric ones i tend to feel like we're probably gonna end up with a lot of cars that they look good for a while and they may not age as well because we are in the very beginning stages of electric cars whatever you're buying right now you're almost on beta test a lot of things are getting better and better but we are far away from what it's really going to be like just take cars you have now cars have been out for decades hundreds of hundreds of years a hundred years if you think about the cars that were built in 1950 to where we're at now, it's not even the same world. We are so far away from what we were then, and that was a big advancement from what it was before. And if you think about electric cars as the infancy of like the idea, so if you go back to the beginning of when cars are made to where we're at now, it's another planet. We're in another solar system. So to me, electric cars are just beginning. When we get the newer battery technology, when we get the newer things that are coming forward, it's really going to ramp up to a place where we're going to look at the cars, electric cars that are coming out now and laugh and be like, yo, we weren't even close to what we were about to do. So exciting times.
But that's not the only thing we're here to talk about. We got some other news. So outside of Kia doing what Kia does best is basically gaining a lot of attention and getting a lot of people to sign up for the car. On the other end of the spectrum, we got Ferrari. And I don't know how to say the name of their, I'm going to say call it an SUV, even though I'm sure they call it the SAV, Sports Activity Vehicle or something like that. But Ferrari, the Pearl San, San Gyu, Pearl San Gyu, I'm going to go with that. If you know the name of it, leave a comment on Apple Podcasts and tell me I don't know what I'm talking about, and I'll get the name correct. But the Ferrari SUV is out. It has been rumored, talked about, spoken about. Pretty much everybody knew it was coming because there is money to be made with SUVs, and especially in the exotic car range. They saw what Porsche did. They saw what Lamborghini did. They saw what Aston Martin did. They saw what Rolls Royce did. There was no way in the world they were leaving all that bread on the table. And here we are. I'm a Ferrari fan. If I ever hit the lottery, if this podcast goes through the roof and I have the means to buy myself an exotic car, there's about two on the shortest of lists. It's not even a list. Porsche GT3 and some Ferrari. Not all of them. I don't really care for the California. I'm not the biggest Roma fan, even though it looks better. But their sports ones, 458, 488. You get to the hyper ones. You get to the 812. I love the 812. Man, you get to that world. Man, sign me up ASAP. But as far as the SUV, which I actually like too, because it's not, now, it's not beautiful in the sense of you see one. It might look a lot better in person, but I've seen pictures of it in blue and in white, and it looks good to me. It doesn't, obviously, you're not going to stand back and be like, I'm looking at the most gorgeous figure ever, but I like the way it looks. It's aggressive. The front end kind of splits like the headlight design, open grills, you know, for air to flow in. Very much the front end, if you see the Roma, and if you see the front end of... A little bit of the, a little bit of the 488, a little bit of the SF90. It's very much a collaboration of all the design elements. So you have like a very thin strip of headlights above them. It's like open grill split. Think of like the McLaren 720s, just slimmed down to scale. Below that, you have open grill in the center, Ferrari logo, open you know vents probably to the brake cooling, engine cooling, radiator stuff like that on the side. Pretty much, it, you look at it, you could tell it's a Ferrari. You don't look at it and say, I don't know what type of car that is. The interior, to me, is really knocked it out the park. Because a driver and a passenger seat both have essentially the same type of cockpit, where the passenger has the screen that you can see on Ferraris now that show you vehicle speed, other information you want to look at, change the sound, the music. The driver's seat has the Maritino, which is you know changing the different drive modes on the Ferrari. Dual clutch transmission, obviously, it's not a manual. That's not happening, even though, for, sidebar tangent, Ferrari's missing a massive, massive opportunity to bring back manuals into their cars on a special release of just manual gated shifter Ferraris. I mean, listen, Ferrari, if, you li- if, you pay- if you're listening, do it. Whatever the next sports car you have, you make it a manual, watch how fast some things fly off the shelf. Anyways, I, I digress. But rear of the car, 
very much for very much eight twelve. Has that type of look, the big diffuser, quad exhaust, high sitting bumper, everything everything is high, like the roof line, everything is kinda high. But the you know, the party trick is the fact that it has suicide doors. Or you know, that is really the cool thing because out of all the cars that are in this category, none of them have that. And the rear seats of it are very much about the passenger. So it's a two-seat, it's a four-seater, but each seat is like its own individual seat. And the rear is really dope because it emulates the front buckets, two of them in the back, center console where they can recline, stretch out. You got all the creature comforts. I'm sure you got heat and cool seats. I don't know if it's massage, but it's it's more luxury than just bare bones, you know, speciale or GT3. It's it's made for you to drive in and ride in. And I don't know, obviously I don't know the comfort of it, and I haven't seen a video of somebody tall getting inside of it, but as far as like the suspension and everything that they built onto the car, it comes with the ability to basically go through a variety of roads and still be comfortable. This isn't something that's made for the Nürburgring, even though it can race down it and set lap times because ultimately it still is a Ferrari. So they still want it to handle. It's not some boat. It is expensive. I mean, these things based at like $400,000. So it's not something that you're just going to see floating around every day, but that's probably why they did that because you see Auruses a lot. Some people argue they're Audi RS Q8s. You see, Cullinans, you see Porsche Cayennes all day long. So I know that they wanted to really separate. You don't really see the Aston Martin DBX, but that's also because Aston Martins are kind of unique in how they are targeted at the people that like those cars. So this and what Ferrari is designing is is exclusivity as they are as a brand. V12, it makes 715 horsepower, red lines at 8250. <laughs> Crazy. The suspension, um, I didn't. I read some more about it, but really the suspension is kind of a highlight because it uses, you know, motors and sensors in order to adjust how it's performing on the road that it's on. So it rides better than like the GT, GTC4 Lusos or the Ferrari FF from years past. So it's a very comfortable ride. I guess similar to what McLaren does with their, you know, hydraulic suspension where it feels like it's incredibly soft but as soon as the road gets tight or as soon as you need it to ride like that when you change the drive modes it turns into a track monster so the ferrari pro sangu <laughs> i'm gonna have to slow it down every time i talk about this car because i have no idea how to announce that name that kind of it 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 features or it benefits from that type of technology when it comes to how the suspension is made so Personally, I think it's awesome. I think all these manufacturers make every car they can because ultimately when Ferrari makes more money with this SUV, when they get more and more clients, all that means is the special cars that we like, the La Ferraris, the 488s. Man, I hit the microphone like twice in this episode. The uh, 48 Speciales, the, you know, Apertas and all that. That gets, we get more of that. We get more of that because it's, it's more money coming into the company and now they can kind of do things that are more fun. I personally like how it looks suicide doors to me is an awesome feature because the way it's designed, it makes it very much only look like it's a two door, but the design allows it to kind of blend in and still give it that exotic flair. What I don't like about it though, is on all the models, they have like the fender flares are either body colored or the carbon fiber. And to me, that's where it kind of looks a little funky, 
a little cheapish. Even though it's carbon fiber, it has very big like side skirt panel at the bottom. That being all carbon fiber, and then it has like a wheel arc flare that's carbon fiber. It just looks to me that part of it's where I'm like I'm iffy because you can do a configurator and have it built out. I'm just like sometimes you see the carbon on like a brighter color and it looks okay. Other time it looks like a flared fender similar to like the Audi All Roads or something like that. And I'm like I don't know if I like that. Maybe all body color and the bottom piece parts of it being carbon would be better on certain colors if you have all black obviously it'll look dope because black will blend into the carbon better but i mean we're nitpicking talking about a configurator for a car that i'm probably never gonna own but it's still fun to build out the cars if you haven't tried it go try out that configurator because to me that's that's kind of the fun part about some of these exotic cars is like going to build them out see the spec there's a whole world of that. I'm sure there's people on YouTube that shoot videos of them just making specs on Porsches and Ferraris. And that's kind of the fun part because you just realize all these different color combos. And when you see these cars out in public sometimes, that's kind of what differentiates some of the better models is some of the spec that the person chooses. Like I've seen a bunch of SF90s in my city. And the other one time I was at the little car meet in the morning, they call it like Sunday, you know, car church. And somebody had a green SF90 and that spec, it was like a very brightish, bright green, not British racing green, not a dark green, a bright green, not Lamborghini bright, but think of like the Porsche GT3 bright. Um, really nice. Like that color, it had gold, yellow accent on certain pieces, green piping on the interior, just really nice. And I hadn't seen that spec before. So that's kind of what a lot of, because all the cars are exotic and they look exciting, regardless of whatever color they are, it is cool to see when somebody takes the time to actually not just have a red Ferrari all the time or a black car or a white car. Not that I don't drive a white car, but when you have the option of colors, adding color. So if you haven't checked it out, go to your local coffee and cars in a couple months or a year or two. We're all going to see one of these. So I'll see one in person too, and I'll have a picture of it as well. Other car things that are happening, sticking on, stick, staying with the exotic car thing. Outside of the Ferrari, you know, and all the first drives of the Poro San Gyu, <laughs> um, as far as our, all of the test drives with that car, which I haven't watched all the videos on YouTube, but I'm going to get to that. So I want to see what people think about it and how it drives. Lamborghini released essentially the future of the Aventador or whatever the next version of their supercar is going to be. And the news there is that we're not losing none. Like when Lamborghini has made the Aventador for, I don't know, how long has it been? It's been over like 10 years. It's been the same concept. It's basically been big V12, big leaders, high RPMs, big horsepower. But when you have the idea of a new car coming out and you know that the new cafe rules or the UK, you know, rules for emissions and things like that, everybody's always worried that like, oh man, I'm about to lose the V12. It might be a twin turbo V8 or V6 or something that kind of doesn't feel like big, in-your-face, obnoxious, hyper supercar i don't want to say hypercar because it's not at that scale but that's what the inventador was that's what the murcielago was and if you got the og murcielago with the gated six-speed manual hold on to that for dear life but the big 
coupe, the big in-your-face exotic-looking Lamborghinis always had a V12. And I've always been a fan of that. To me, that's one of the selling points or one of the key features of a car like that. It's like, that is the big V12. That's the big horsepower, big engine. And so I'm pleased to announce, <laughs> um, not me announcing, but the next version of the V12 was released. And it makes up to 1,001 horsepower. So clearly Lamborghini's been playing with nobody. They done seen all them sheepy race, Hefner performance, underground racing, twin turbo Lamborghinis, and they want a piece. <laughs> Not that. I mean, it only makes 1,001. Them cast is at 2,000 on the street. So they'll take this, though. When this comes out, they'll definitely be ripping those apart to figure out something. But it features three electric motors, two up front, one is integrated into the new Lamborghini design, A-speed dual-clutch transmission. That's the big deal. Between the hybridized V12 with the electric motors, uh, finally we're at, an eight, we're at a true dual-clutch transmission. So the driving and capability of how it drives is going to shoot up way up. Because for years it was always a single clutch. Now I wonder, the one thing I do wonder is if it keeps or harnesses the feeling of engagement when you're shifting. Because a single clutch transmission for people like Pagani and Lamborghini was about the engagement. They didn't care about how fast you can shift it. They wanted you to be in the car and feel like the rifle bolt of a, a shift, like the bang. As soon as you like pull the lever and you feel the car like almost surge forward and then surge back, like they wanted that emotion. So I wonder if the new dual clutch keeps that emotion. I kind of feel like it does because saying it was a Lamborghini design, I don't think, I don't know. Maybe on this model, they're about as far as their performance and efficiency goes, but I'm not 100% sure that they would get rid of that type of feature because that's really what they were known for as far as how the cars performed and how they were and how they were driven. So I wonder. And one of the things, I'm back now. We had a little bit of a break because the children, you know, they had to come and tell me something. But about the Lamborghini. So the transmission to me is one of the biggest things because for, for the emotion that I was just speaking about, I don't think that they're going to change how that car performed as far as that emotion. But they may. And they may be shooting for efficiency of lap times. It may be how the car performs on the street. So who knows? But outside of the transmission, the compression ratio and how the engine performs in horsepower is it's way up. 814 horsepower without the assistance of the electric motors. 480 pounds. It's 37 pounds lighter than the previous V12, which is impressive considering the fact that it's essentially the same design. So they cut out a lot of weight. The red line is 9,250. The limiter is at 9,500. This is going to sound nuts. So if you if you are a fan of the big V8s, I'm V8s, the big V12s, how they scream, how the Lamborghini sound, I mean we we are on our way. Like we have we have a winner on our hands. Now, as far as the electric motors go, the one interesting part about this is that there's a pair of motors at each wheel on the front separately handling like torque vectoring so this is how we get to the all-wheel drive that Aventador's had there's no mechanical link from the engine 
which I think also probably plays a role in no drag or any issues with clutches and extra half shafts and all that trying to go to these motors. I'm assuming they're directly on wheel or directly on the hub, but that's, you know, a part of the all-wheel drive system, and it's it's always, like, part electric, I'm assuming, at this point now because that's how the motors are running. The one in the back is incorporated into the transmission, and reading from Car and Driver says, which due to clever clutching mechanism can switch between acting as a starter motor and generator or adding power to the rear axle. Each motor can deliver up to 148 horsepower, although the combined peak is always less than three times that due to the current flow supported by the battery. The maximum output is quoted as an impressively potent 1,001 horsepower. So where is this battery pack, right? Because it's a hybrid system. So from what I had read, there is a 3.8 kilowatt battery pack. And when you remove the normal transmission or drivetrain or drive shafts that normally had to be in the car we now can stick this battery pack in the transmission tunnel within the cabin so we got low seating and they haven't released the weight of the battery or the entire weight of the car but i wouldn't i wouldn't be too far off by saying that maybe this will be heavier than the previous aventador just because of batteries and electric motors even though the engine is 37 pounds lighter we have to find out. They say we do have weight figures on the front motors. They're 41 pounds, I guess, a piece. The dual-clutch transmission, which is 425 pounds, including the weight of the integral electric motor. So there might be this car might be heavier, which is going to be the knock against it because most people want to see these cars getting like lighter and faster, but maybe it is lighter depending on how much carbon fiber they use. They have to do a, a monocoque, so they might do a carbon fiber one more carbon fiber across the entire body of the car. So we might end up with a lighter, you know, I say Aventador, but a replacement to the the outgoing Aventador. We don't know what this car is going to look like. You can rest assured it's going to look ridiculous like a spaceship and landing on the ground, but they haven't released anything. But I think they're smart was talking about the powertrain because this makes everybody exciting. We don't lose the V12. We gain the technology of hybrid and the benefits that it can have in these supercars. And the, even it can run on just electric power for a few miles just off the battery pack it has. So, you know, if you're leaving from, if you, they always, they always talk about these scenarios in like these old, like UK country, Tuscany Valley little towns. And like when you come home or if you're in a small town, you can shut off the engine and use the electric power. And I'm sure they're going to shoot some video of this thing in Italy somewhere, some tiny cobblestone street trying to get, a, you know, an espresso and they go into electric mode. <laughs> but everybody else, 90% of these things that come to America, folks ain't going to do that. Maybe if you live in a really small, gated, quiet community, then you can turn on electric mode and run it. But most of the time, it's going to be full full bore. Now, that's you know, that's it with like the hyper, the supercar information as far as, you know, new things coming out. I'm sure there's some other news when I'm recording this, but kind of more on a personal note as far as what's been going on this is kind of just a this this podcast is just us just having a conversation just talking so the gr corolla oh man not the gr corolla again yes yes buckle up you know skip ahead skip ahead this section ain't for you <laughs> um so gr corolla's been treating me well 
the more and more I drive that car, the more and more I realize it is it's just more and more of what I wanted. Raw, all-wheel drive, hatchback. Like just something that is very spirited, something that's very, you know, not as refined. And a lot of people have to kind of understand that idea because we get a lot of, there is a lot of, you know, wanting it to be a Civic Type R. I want it to be even the best thing on the track. And I'm like, y'all are missing the point. This is back roads. This is back to our roots. I don't care about cars being outrageous on tracks that I'm not on every day. I want it to be fun on the street. And it's, man, it's been overachieving on that front. Me and the oldest, we went over to uh, the Super Lab Battle over at Circuit of Americas in Austin. I love that event. Every time I go, there's just a more and more push of me to do something on a track or even buy some car later on and just have fun in the street class. I don't need to be an unlimited one. Just the fun of being there. He was beside himself as me and him both were just geeking out. Cars, race cars there. I love the fact they let you go inside the garages with the teams, just see what they're working on because that's just kind of... I feel like that's a very smart thing because it brings you closer to the action, as it, you know the term is said. But it brings you closer to, you know, seeing regular people just having fun on a track with a car. It's not the secretive Formula One, F one. Like you don't can't be over here. You're not allowed to see this. You can't do this. You're not over there. You ain't got enough money for that. You ain't pay for this paddock access. So it's nice to see events where they're just very open. They had. That section on the track, we stayed there watching the cars for hours. They had the drifting section. Every time I go to the drifting section, and it was, I believe it was hosted by Lone Star Drift and, you know, a few other people there. Every single time I've been there, it is another reason I need to go get something to drift in. More so than the track ones. See, the track stuff is fun. I'm like, man, I would love to do this. But I go to the drifting one, I'm just like, you know, this is just like, it's just fun because it's, I don't know. I, I don't want to say it's not as technical. I don't want to say it doesn't take as much skill. It's just, it's more, it's more of a laid back. Drifting to me is a laid back grassroots vibe. Not that you can't go to the pro level and then it becomes very serious. But it always maintains that just approachable nature. They give out rides. My son, he couldn't get a ride because he's just a little too young. He's only nine. But he will eventually when we go back. But it's cool seeing people paying for rides with these drivers and they're just going around the track. And every time I'm there, I'm like, man, I need to just go find a beater 350Z and me and my son just go out there and start doing this. And I I truly am going to do this. It's not something I'm just saying I wish I can. I am very much in the stage of my life of, of doing what you say you're going to do, right? And just enjoying the time you have and the ability to even have the brain capacity or the health to take on new hobbies. So it's going to be really, I really would like to go to the loan. I think there's like a Texas drift Academy. So I really want to go there to kind of learn. I want to learn the basics. I know some people just like go to event, learn it, grassroots, do it. I like instruction. Like I'm a sponge for information. So I like seeing people that know what they're doing and talking to them about it and getting the right instruction for what I want to do. So that might be, that's going, I don't want to say might, that is going to be, you know, manifestation. That's going to be something that me and him do. We're going to do it. And 
you know, we're going to also get another car for like a project car. I don't got the GR Corolla, but that's kind of like my true JDM. This is going to be my JDM build. We're going to go to car shows, but I do want to get something that he likes more so, which is Mustangs and he likes wide body kits and Pandem Rocket Bunny has a wide body kit for like the O three to 06 Mustang. And because those are so dirt cheap right now, because nobody really wants them, I can go, I even looked it up already. I can find like a beater one with like a blown V6, but a clean body and get cracking because the engine, we can take care of the engine. We can, we can swap something in there. That ain't a big deal. But just to get him, I just want to do one of those. And I want to have fun doing it on a car that me and him can do and just kind of beat up and not be worried about, you know, chopping fenders on brand new cars that you're, making car payments on i just feel like that's just a little a little too much a little too extra but we have fun at that event we're gonna get ready to go to i want to go to a nascar event i haven't been to one in a very very long time and i have never taken him to one so i want to go to a nascar event i wanted to go see formula d racing but inexplicably they got no events in my state all their whole entire schedules everywhere else maybe Maybe we take a trip to one. If if I'm going to fly out to one, I might wait till the very end and go to the the finale in Irondale, California, and see the final Formula One D event there. Just so you get the whole camaraderie, the fanfare. I still need to get to an F1 race. The t- yo, the tickets for the F1 race are so astronomical. Like four fifty, four is five hundred dollars for the general admission is sick. Like, what? And I'm still climbing around in the parking. You got to pay like a buck fifty for parking. It's going to be concessions that are going to cost arms and legs and hands and feet. (sighs) I know it's an experience, and I'm going to go to one. It's just that I almost blame this Drive to Survive show on Netflix that I love watching, too. But like it just feels like the pricing is getting is getting too crazy. They need to do one. They need to do a better ticketing system because the day they release tickets, because a general admission can be usually it should have been purchased for like one hundred and thirty dollars or something like that, which ain't bad. But you know, scalpers and systems and ticketing systems are so garbage. And I'm in. I'm from that world. Like the sneakers, the PS5s, the Xbox, the rare stuff, the reselling things. I've done that. So I know how to get things that are rare and how to, you know, put your page up and save your information and do it on your phone and the tablet and the computer and hit refresh 900 times. But even then, on that ticketing system for Circuit of Americas in the F1, trash, garbaggio, okay? I don't understand it. They need to do better because... It shouldn't, I don't, Formula One should not start turning into only for the wealthy. And I know it's called the billionaire sport and it's already as wealthy as you possibly can get it considering how much money it costs to even be an F1. But even then, if Circuit of Americas is to be considered a track that stays there when we have so many tracks around the world and in this country closing down every day, we're already losing Baytown. I don't even know where we're seeing drag racing events. The spring nationals don't come here anymore. We, I mean, I got to go all the way to like, you know, Ennis, Texas, somewhere in the country to go see some of this stuff. So it's like, if the pricing is this crazy, it's like, I mean, who's supposed to come and see these events? Like, who is it made for? Is it only made for the wealthy who do not care 
that much unless they have a stake or some claim into who's racing and what's racing. It's just, you know, it's just my thoughts. A little bit of a rant on that uh, on that end part. But I'm going to get to the F1 race. We're going to get there. But that's what we did this month. You know, Coffee and Cars had Rad Day. We got Radwood coming up in Austin. I'm going to be there. Uh, my boy's going to be there. It's his K1 BMW bike, classic rare one. That one's he's a very, very dope bike. I don't have a bike yet. Being around him is probably going to happen sooner than later. And, you know, that's all we've done right now. It looks short, a little bit short of an episode, but, you know, I'll be back next week again. See what else there is to talk about. And, you know, also, there's a YouTube channel, Carl Quicks. It's me in my face. So it's not just me talking. And that's to see what I look like, you know, gaze upon the skin, you know, regimen. But I have the episodes that are going up. I did a review on the GR Corolla that's up there, 2,000-mile one. I got almost 4,000 miles on it now. I mean, it's lovely. And I have another another episode I'm going to put up of us at the Super Lap Battle, just kind of like piece it together. I got to work on that. And I'm going to do more and more. I just, you know, COE, content over everything. But I just want to get more and more... I can hear my wife in the back right now. If you hear her laughing, you, her laugh is so distinct that everybody identifies her laugh first. So it's great to hear that. But as far as that goes, you know, it's going to be a good time. And what I want to do more so is just consistent releasing of of things I want to do. Like always to know and always remember that the separation between what somebody else is to achieve or if you see somebody with a channel that has this many subscribers and followers and doing as much as the fact that they just keep making the content and that's what i tell myself all the time i'm not looking for if it can monetize and become something more later awesome but the whole point of this is that i like talking about this in general and i enjoy my time and i enjoy myself so as always do as you wish do as you may. It's Carl Quicks, your host, and I'm going to see y'all around. Be safe out there.